Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, let's turn our attention to God's Word this morning. We finished a series last week uh, on the book of Jude. We had spent three weeks looking through the book of Jude, and this week we are going to start to turn our attention towards Easter. I, I think it is important in this season um, as we prepare for Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday and just kind of getting ready for that, I think it is good to start to be looking at, looking at some of Jesus' final teachings here. And I find it interesting that in America, our biggest holiday that Christians tend to celebrate is which holiday? Christmas. Thanksgiving. Who, who mentioned that one? Love food, absolutely. But Christmas in the West has kind of become like the main big holiday. And I kind of blame Macy's in New York City for commercializing Christmas. But in the Christian faith in history, Christmas was never that big of a celebration how it is now. Easter and Resurrection Sunday was the holiday was the, the time to get focused on the events that took place on that Good Friday and on that Resurrection Sunday morning. And, uh, I, and I just want you guys to know that this coming Christmas, uh, we are going to cancel Christmas at Woodland, so we're going to not have any decorations this year. We're not going to have anything up here, so if you enjoy Christmas decorations, we're getting rid of all that stuff. We're going to be focusing in on Easter, okay? So we're going to have lots of Easter d- decorations here. Not too many people are laughing. There are some people crying on the inside. If my wife was here today, she would be holding up picket signs because she wants to be celebrating Christmas. But we will. But I just find it interesting that as you read Christian history, Easter Sunday was the holiday, was where men and women of the faith got focused, got their attention turned to it. And I want in this season here, in these next several weeks leading up to Good Friday, and to Resurrection Sunday, for us to be turning our attention to some of Jesus' last teachings. Now, it was a very interesting season when you read Scripture, Jesus leading up to the cross. As Jesus was getting his disciples ready, he told them over and over, listen, I'm going to die. They're coming for me. This is, this is going to be ending this way, but do not worry, I will be coming back. But Jesus is reminding them constantly, listen, it's, this is about to be taking place. And the disciples were kind of like confused, which I think any one of us, if we would have been walking with Jesus 2,000 years ago, it would have been a confusing time as well. Following Jesus for three years and, you know, he kind of mentioned death, and yeah, this thing might, might be ending, but you're like in love with Jesus. You have come to commit your life to him fully. And Jesus, some of his last teachings, he's going to give them some warnings, some encouragement, and that's what I kind of want to turn our attention to. While I've been thinking about this sermon today, this SNL skit kept running through my mind. And I realize some of you guys might pull out pitchforks here, but I've got a a quick 45-second video that I want to play. Joey's going to hit the lights, and and I hope this kind of helps us remember today's message. So go ahead there, Boyne and Joey. 
I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley is a caring nurturer, a member of several 12-step programs, but not a licensed therapist. I'm going to do a terrific show today, and I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Now, some of you who grew up in the 90s when SNL was fantastic back then, uh, you would have remembered Stuart here. You might be thinking, Pastor, what does this have to do with anything? Well, first of all, every Sunday morning, I look into the mirror and I tell myself, <laughs> I'm a great pastor. I'm going to do a good sermon today. My sermon's going to help people. I'm attractive <laughs> and people like me. So I share that with you because the title of today's message is the opposite of Stuart's message. He had some serious issues of people liking him. Well, the reality is, is God's Word is going to teach us the very opposite of Stuart's message. So the title of my message today is, They Don't Like You, and It's Okay. So turn with me to John chapter 15, and uh, as you guys turn, we are going to stand and read John chapter 15, starting in verse 18 through John 16, 4. If you guys will stand as we read God's Word, and God's Word says this today in John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now that they have no excuse for their sin, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Verse 26. But the Helper comes, and I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, who will bear witness about me, and you also will, will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. 16.1. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Verse 4, but I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word today, Lord, as we seek you, Father, we desire to hear from you. Father, come and challenge us, encourage us, and help us to live our lives for you, Lord. 
We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. They won't like you, and it's okay. If you have been part of Woodland for the last two and a half years, for some reason, we have talked about this topic many, many times. When I first got here, we went through the book of Acts, and as we saw over and over again and throughout all of Scripture, is that God is constantly warning his people, this world that we live in will not be a friendly world towards you. Jesus warns us here, but, but there is just this constant, constant theme of you will be hated. You will not be accepted by this world. And I think it's interesting because most people's biggest struggle is this idea of wanting to be accepted. I don't think that there's anyone in this room that, that enjoys being rejected, that enjoys being picked last for dodgeball. As a chubby kid, that was me sometimes until they saw me throw that ball. Oh, man. But anyways, we, none of us enjoy this, right? Like, say, like, we don't enjoy being rejected. We don't enjoy people not liking us. I think within every human being, there is a little bit of people pleasing within all of us. Even if you say, oh, I don't, I don't care, Pastor. I don't care if people get upset. Everybody at some level has some sense that they want to be accepted. They want to be liked. And they don't want to be completely rejected and hated. Well, I think that is why Jesus here is reminding his disciples one last time. And let's just kind of dive in here. Let's uh, look at verses 18 and 19. Jesus says this. He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I got a weird analogy that I'm going to share with you, so please walk with me here. Entertain this thought. Uh, did anybody here have a boyfriend or girlfriend back in high school? A couple of you. Mitch did. He's still married to uh, his high school girlfriend. But, oh, so we still got a, a, some couples in here, but if you ever had a boyfriend or girlfriend back in high school, and I'm picking high school, remember when you had to break up with them? And maybe you never broke up with anyone. Maybe you were the one always getting dumped, and you might be in tears right now. I'm sorry for bringing up past pain and emotional trauma. But if you remember back then, and I remember, you know, when you had to have that conversation that the relationship was going to end, Right? And the most common saying was, it's not you, it's me. You know, you want to break up with people gently. And I was thinking about that as Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He's not breaking up with them. He's going to bring them some encouragement. But the first encouragement is really true. He looks at them and says, listen, this world is going to hate you. It's not you. They don't hate you. They hate me. It's because of me they're going to hate you. And it's this analogy here that Jesus is saying, listen, you're not part of this world. I'm not part of this world. This world is going to hate you. And it's not just because of how you look or anything like that. It's because the world first hated me. And Jesus says, but you're not part 
of this world. Now, it's interesting here. Jesus doesn't use this word, but this word is exactly what the word means. You guys know the word holy? It's throughout all of Scripture. You are a holy people. God, he is a holy God. That word holy simply means to be set apart. Jesus looks at his disciples here and says, listen, you guys are set apart. You guys are different than the world that you live in. You don't walk as they walk. You don't beat to their drum. You are set apart. And the reason why you are set apart is because I've chose you out of this world. And then Jesus gives this measuring stick. How do we know if we are set apart? Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. The world loves their own people. They adore their own people. And as I was thinking about this idea of like, what does it really mean to be of the world and and like, how do we know if the world accepts us or rejects us? As you read Scripture, and I've mentioned this many, many times, as you read Scripture, God's people are always countercultural. That doesn't, it, whether it's 2022 or whether it is God calling Moses and the people to the promised land and be living amongst the Canaanites there. Scripture is always this. There's God's people, and then there's the culture around them. God's people are always different than the culture. We don't walk as the culture walks. We don't think how the culture thinks. And Jesus makes this clearly, saying, listen, if you were of the world, they would love you. They would accept you. They would have no problems with you. You would be welcomed as their own. You would be praised for who you are. But as Christ followers, like I said, we don't run as the world runs. And Jesus is simply reminding his disciples, saying, listen, you're not part of them. And because of this, this is what's going to happen to you. Look at verse 20. 20 and 21, Jesus says this. He says, remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they'd kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Jesus says a couple of things here, but that one line, a servant is not greater than its master. And I, and, and I really want us to be wrapping our minds around that this morning here. Think about this. A servant is not greater than his master. Who's the servant Who's the master? Jesus is the master. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's, he, he created all things. He is all things. Jesus is the master. Who are we? We're the servants. And Jesus is looking at his disciples as he's getting ready to go to the cross and he's giving them this one last message once again. He says, listen, you're not greater than your master. What did Jesus go through? What did Jesus face? They beat him. They persecuted him. They hated him. In the world that we live in, in the Western world, there are many people that attend churches, that go to, that go to church, 
that do Christian activities, but they have a mindset that being a Christian equals your best life right now. That there has been this lie and these people have kind of bought into this idea that being a follower of Jesus somehow equals you're going to have a great life. You're going to have lots of health. You're going to have lots of wealth. You're not going to face any sort of hardship. You're going to live just this fabulous life and this world is just going to be fantastic to you and you're going to have everything great. Well, look at our master. How many years did our master make it on this side of heaven? 33 years, roughly. That's what scholars kind of estimate there. It could be 32, it could be 34. Jesus lived 33 years. How was Jesus born? In a manger. He came into this world homeless and penniless, Jesus the Son. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, listen, you're, the servants are never greater than the master. The things Jesus goes through, the things that Jesus faces, he says, you're going to face them as well. I think about this, Jesus, as you study him, he only, he only lived on this side of heaven 33 years. He never traveled more than 200 miles from where he was born. When people came and said, I, I want to follow you, and Jesus says, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But there is that lie that people believe that it's like, if you follow Christ, everything becomes great. But when you look to God's word, it's the opposite. And Jesus says, this is why they hated me. Look at verses 22 through 25. Jesus says this. It says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. I always enjoy meeting people that have this idealistic, completely unbiblical thought of Jesus. I meet people often, and, and they say, listen, I don't really enjoy church, and, uh, you know, but I really enjoy Jesus. I really like who Jesus is. I like, I like Jesus' teachings. And I've heard this so often where, where, where people, they've never really read the Bible, they've never really, but they have this idea that Jesus is loving and caring, and he just accepts me right where I am. And those are like they're kind of like half-truths there. Like, yes, Jesus is the most loving of all. Like, he is love in the flesh. Jesus loves his creation. He came and he died for all people. He paid the price on that cross for all sins of man. But so many people have this idea that it's like, Jesus is just a big teddy bear. And it's like they never listen to his teachings. And Jesus says here is that when he came, They rejected me because I talked about sin. They rejected me because my works pointed out sin. That Jesus came to confront sin. I love how one scholar talked about these verses here, and I want to just read it for us this morning. He says this about specifically these verses. He says, Both his life, Jesus, and his words, he rebuked human sin and condemned it. He uncovers the inner corruption 
and hypocrisy of man, and they, re- and they react violently to the disclosure. He strips away all excuses and exposes their selfishness and rebellion against God. When Jesus came, if you read the, his first message, his first message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came, and the reason why they hated him is because Jesus had no problems talking and exposing sin. He pointed to who God was and God's standards, and he had no issues talking about sin and pointing out sin. And when he would look at the religious people, he would look at them and say, listen, you guys have this hypocrisy. The religious people walked around thinking, well, I've, I don't sin, and I've never sinned, and sin is for all these all these low-life people. And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it. You guys are all in this boat. And what do they do? They kill them. And I think for us as believers, we need to recognize that as a believer in Christ, we're not here to be judgmental of this world. I think we do recognize, as Paul recognizes in 1 Timothy 1.15, God's Word says this, the The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And Paul recognizes this truth, of whom I'm the foremost. Paul recognizes Jesus came to die for sinners, and Paul recognizes that he is one of the worst of worst sinners. And I think for us as believers, we know that, we, we completely recognize that I am not a good person. But when we talk about God's word and when we point people to Christ, this conflict is going to take place. It's going to be sin in their lives. And people just rejected it. They want to believe this lie that I'm just a good person. We're all good people. We're all just trying our best. I got a good heart, a good mind. And it's, it's just, it's devastating. But what they did was that when Christ points it out, they killed him. They persecuted him. But there is hope, church. Jesus doesn't leave his disciples there. He doesn't leave us there either. Look at John 15, 26 through 27. He's going to give them some encouragement. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. There's no need to worry, Jesus says. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send somebody that's going to come and he's going to help you. He's going to be my witness and you're going to be my witnesses as well. Look at, look at just one chapter previous, John 14, 16 through 17, speaking on this Holy Spirit that is coming, it says this, and I will ask the Father, this is 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Jesus says, listen, this helper is going to come. Is it going to be difficult? Absolutely. Is it going to be a tough road? For sure. But the helper is going to come. This helper is going to be with you. 
Not only that, the helper comes and lives inside of you. And it sounds crazy and it sounds weird, but as a follower of Christ, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and commit your life to him, his spirit comes and dwells within you. And then the spirit calls us to this mission. He says, my, my Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to dwell within you and he's going to be my witness. And you're going to be my witness. And you see the call of the church, the call of God's people, the call of his disciples is very simple and very clear. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about who Christ is and what he has done. And that's where God does his best work because his spirit, it comes and it convicts this world of sin and God is working on people's hearts and people's, and people's minds. And our job as his followers is simple. Tell the world what Christ has done. Tell them about his work on the cross. Tell them about his resurrection. And then Jesus reminds them why he's giving them this warning. Why he says it's going to be difficult. They will hate you. They will persecute you. But this is why Jesus tells them this one last time. Look at verses 16, 1 through 4. I want to draw our attention there. It says this. It says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you remember that I told, told them to you. Jesus is saying it very clearly. I want you to realize this. I want you to remember what I'm telling you here. Remember, persecution's coming. The world is not going to like you. They're actually going to hate you. And there's going to come an hour where they're going to drag you in front of the, of the synagogues. And as Jesus speaks this to his disciples, majority of them died because of, you know, they... They were martyrs. I mean, they took spears to the back. They took arrows. They took stonings. And Jesus is saying this. And he says, listen, I want you to really recognize this. Because why? Because you might fall away. Now, how can somebody possibly fall away from following Christ? I thought, you know, once saved, always saved. There's all this argument. I'm not getting into that here. But Jesus gives them this warning. He wants them to understand the cost of what is ahead. Because if you have this theology, if you have this mindset that being a Christian equals everything's fantastic, your best life now, it's like Jesus is, is saying, like, when life actually hits you, when the persecution hits, when trials hit, when, when rejection hits, Jesus says, I'm telling you this so you won't fall away. I don't want you to fall away. You need to understand the cost going in. But it's a very, very dangerous mindset, church. And I'm, I'm saying this a lot today, and I say this all the time, because there is this idea of just prosperity and following Jesus. And it is an idea that's from the pits of hell. It's not true. We can't believe it. We can't buy into it. Because if you buy into following Jesus equals everything is great, the moment persecution comes, the moment rejection comes, you give up. Well, I, th I, th I thought life was supposed to be fantastic. 
I thought there wasn't supposed to be any sort of difficulties. I thought, I thought people were going to like me. I'm a good person. Like, it's just like all of these thoughts come, and Jesus says, I'm telling you this. I'm warning you that when this comes, I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to have a different mindset. You need to understand this is what is coming. Now, I recognize, church, that we live in the West. I recognize that we live in America, where our persecution is, is really not that high here, you know. You might get a couple of dislikes on your Instagram page, a couple of thumbs down but for, for posting something, you know, for posting some sort of Bible verse. I recognize our persecution is not that great here. But for us to believe that it's never going to come here, for us to think that, well, we can just escape persecution, that we can just escape this world from hating us, as a follower of Christ, I think that we have to have this mindset. We have to understand this is coming, and it comes to all of God's people everywhere for every generation. It may be looking different. You know, we are not in Saudi Arabia meeting underground, hoping that our neighbors don't hear us right now. We're not hiding out in bunkers and in the hillsides, fearing for our lives. I get that. But to think that persecution doesn't come, to think that it will never come here, we have to recognize that it will come. They will want to cancel you. They will want to shut you down. When you stand for God's word and God's truth and you say, listen, I don't walk as you walk. I have a king that I follow. My submission is to him and to him alone. I don't submit to you. I don't submit to anything that you think I should. I don't believe how you believe. I don't think how you think because my basis for everything comes from my king. It comes from God's word. It comes from my master. We support a couple of missionaries here. Josh and Marie Van Ness. Uh, they've been up here a couple of times. I've talked a lot about Josh, him and I are, are, are fantastic friends. Well, they're getting ready to go to Kyrgyzstan, and I was talking with him. I said, you know, like, how do you guys get ready for this? And he said, actually, we've got a missionary training. And uh, they're actually a, a class level two, so they're, they're going into the second most dangerous places of the world. If you were a class one missionary, you are going into a place where you are not even allowed to physically be there. The country they are going to is heavily Muslim. It's heavily persecuted. But what they do to get them ready is quite amazing. They had three days of training, training specifically of when persecution comes. When you get interrogated, what do you say? When they threaten your wife or your children, what do you do? And they literally have this intense training where, where like, they have to get this mindset. Persecution is a real threat in Kyrgyzstan. They're not welcome there. Once they find out about them, some bad stuff could be happening to them. But to get them ready, they go through this three-day training. And actually, Josh, he was actually kind of joking around. He said, you know, I kind of wish I was like level one, because when you're like level one, the training's one week, and they bring you out to Wyoming, and they operate with uh, Black Op helicopters, and they actually, like, pick you up and bag you, and, like, he goes, dude, I was kind of looking forward to, like, flying on, like, a military plane, and they work with the U.S. military there, but he said, it's so good because it helps us realize that, hey, this is, this is a real possibility. 
This is like a real mindset that, that like we have to have and their children have to have as they are planning and getting ready to go to that country. That real persecution, real harm, physical harm could be coming to them. I've been thinking about that here. I've been thinking maybe on Saturdays we could do some like waterboarding here. I mean, have you guys like thought about that? Like, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm clearly just spitballing here. These are just random, random thoughts here. You know, we, we can just practice. You know, we, we can just get ready. I do think we have to have this mindset because Jesus warns them, I'm telling you this so you will remember this. When this comes, when this happens, we have to be mentally ready. We have to be prepared in our, deep down into our souls. Because Jesus doesn't want any of us quitting. He doesn't want you giving up the moment it gets hard. And he wants you to remember that when it happens, oh yeah, my king, my master, he warned me of this. He told me this was coming. He told me this season was about to come upon me and we're ready for it. And I, I recognize, church, you might be sitting there thinking, well, come on, pastor, this isn't going to be happening here. This is so far off. I think we have to have this mindset because Jesus warns them of this. He doesn't want you quitting this race because you don't understand what the race is. The race is difficult. Being a Christian is the most difficult thing you will ever do. I'm telling you, it's, it takes everything from you. Dying to self, submitting our wills and our lives to the King. And I don't want us to have a different mindset, an unbiblical mindset. I don't want us believing a lie that everything will be good and people are going to like me. They're not going to like you. In fact, they're going to hate you because you're going to stand for God's truth and you're going to present with them the gospel and you're going to point them to God's word and then conviction's going to be setting in and God does his best work and his Holy Spirit's working in their lives. But our job, church, is just to simply be pointing people to his word and to who Christ is and what he has done and what he expects from people to repent of their sins, to turn from their wicked ways, to submit their life to Christ as we do. And church, I just, I share this message with us because I think it's, it's vital for us to really wrap our minds and our hearts around this. It may not come tomorrow. It may not come this week. But as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we have to be prepared. We have to recognize this is what our master went through. They pounded thorns into his head. They whipped him. They beat him. They spit on him. They stripped him naked. They did every horrendous thing you could possibly imagine, and then they nailed him to a cross. And Jesus says, don't you think that you're greater than me? What I go through, you will go through. Be ready for it. Let us stand. I want to pray for us this morning here, and I'm going to invite the worship team back up to be singing one last song. Come on up here, Garrett, and let's pray. Father, Father, help us, Lord. Lord, I, I recognize within my own self, Lord, that this is a difficult teaching to wrap my heart and my mind around. But Lord, you laid down this warning for us so that we would remember when it comes. You love your people. You desire for us to be walking in your truths. And Father, help your people. Help me, Lord. 
to have a mindset like what you share here. Rejection will come, persecution, even possibly death, Lord. But Father, you are our King, and we submit to you. And Father, I praise you this morning because you love us. Father, this world is passing away, and Lord, we have you. You are our hope, and you are our future. We cling to you this morning, Lord. We pray this now in Jesus' name.